BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What is up? What is up, Bills Mafia? We got another episode of the BF Writers Club coming at you live here on Buffalo Fanatics. Kevin Syracuse, your host tonight, as I'm getting back into football mode. Trust me, I have been in the football mode, but I had to slightly get out of it. I had a fantasy baseball draft. I had to fill in for someone. That was my first fantasy baseball draft. It was pretty interesting, not going to lie. I liked it. A lot different than um, fantasy football. A lot of different positions, a lot of different rounds, and it took about five hours. But I like it because that's what we've been doing here, right, in the offseason, where you're bidding on certain players and not necessarily that we're doing the bidding, but you're trying to figure out how you can make your team better and how you can allocate that money and how to just put it all together. So that's what I did for a few hours today. But now we are getting back in the football mode here, and we have another jam-packed show coming up for you tonight as I'm going to open things up, tell you what happened during week two of free agency. And then we're going to have Zach and Bryce come on later on because we have some hot topics to talk about tonight. As you can tell, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, that's the big ticket item right now in Buffalo, right? Will he be a Buffalo Bill? Will he get traded? All that stuff. So with that, I want to start by talking about what happened in week two of free agency and where we're at now because last week i was saying how i wasn't really too happy with how the trajectory of the offseason was going and i I wanted to stress that it was early but the money was starting to dry up and players were starting to get signed up pretty quickly so last week i started by saying that it seemed like the bills were building their team around Ken Dorsey because the two main players that they signed, at least on offense, because obviously we know that Jordan Poyer's back, huge re-signing. But the two main players that they signed and added to their offense were Deontay Hardy and Connor McGovern. And what we narrowed it down to last week was that Deontay Hardy, his main role right now is going to be a boundary receiver. And that's great, but he's 5'6", and he has an injury history And his main thing is that he is that speed guy. He is the burner. So you couple that with the Conor McGovern signing, a guy who is known for his pass blocking, but not his run blocking. And I was saying, man, they didn't learn anything last year. They just want to run it back. And they want to go deep because 
they say, okay, well, if it didn't work last year, let's go get an upgraded version of Roger Saffold to give Josh more time to get the ball downfield to Deontay Hardy. And that's where I left it last week where I was saying, if the Bills don't do something here, as we move along in free agency, then obviously the draft, then I'm not really sure how much this team is actually improving. So the three things that I said that they needed to do were get a power running back, build up their offensive line, and get a wide receiver. And they did that exactly the next day, not even a full 24 hours later. I think Brandon Bean was watching the show last week. I don't know. I just got a little inkling. But the next day we wake up and we see that the Bills sign Trent Sherfield. And I love this signing because the Bills didn't have a lot of signings where you just kind of burst out in joy, right? Like there was no, there, there was no Von Miller this year. But when I saw this signing, I know he's similar to Deontay Hardy, but I was actually very excited because Trent Sherfield is, is one of those guys that you don't have to go deep to him because he is a very versatile wide receiver. And I tweeted this after they signed him. And I said, Trent Sherfield seems like the perfect type of wide receiver to provide depth and competition on the back half of the wide receiver room because he can run those short to intermediate routes. He can make tough contested catches. He has speed, plus he's a good blocker, and he can play special teams. And I finished by saying he could be a sneaky good pickup. And basically, it seemed like he is a glorified version of Jay Kumro, where Jay Kumro, yeah, he was used for run blocking and I guess pass catching, but his main thing was special teams. But now you get a guy like Trent Sherfield who can put all those together. And again, it just seems like a glorified version of that wide receiver five until the Bills get another wide receiver. Hopefully, maybe it'll become wide receiver six. But either way, I really like that signing just because you can do so many different things with a guy like Trent Sherfield. And he has a lot of untapped potential. He's within that age, age range that we've been talking about where the Bills are targeting 25 to 27-year-olds who really haven't found their stride yet in the NFL, and then they take off. And they're hoping that their coaching staff and their development team can really bring the best out of them. So with Trent Sherfield, the main highlight that I always think of, when I think of Trent Sherfield, I think of him running across the middle of the field in San Francisco and turning on the Jets to where San Francisco's defense, one of the top defense, if not the top defense in the league, they couldn't catch him. And it wasn't anything flashy where you're going to call a vertical deep shot just for him to try to burn the defense. He worked the middle of the field, and then you saw the speed after the fact. And I think if the Bills can get that out of him, that would be that extra element that this team needs. However, I will say, I watched his introductory press conference. It wasn't really a press conference, but they had him on One Bills Live. And Chris Brown and Steve Tasker asked him, what do you think that the Bills think of you? Like, how do they envision you fitting in here? And he said, well, I'm not sure, but I think it looks like they like me in the slot. And I was like, whoa, 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 hold up here, hold up here. I thought that he was supposed to be that boundary receiver to pro provide depth and competition and give a little bit of size and speed and the blocking abilities why are you going to put him on in the slot where that could be just like last year where he had a plethora of slot receivers no one on the outside behind Diggs and davis and you still didn't know how to use those guys on the inside so why would you put trent Sherfield 
over the middle. Well, you want him in the middle of the field, but why would you line him up in the slot? Because you have Khalil Shakir, maybe Deontay Hardy, maybe if you want to use James Cook or Naeem Hines, and now Trent Shurfield. So it seems like a surplus. But again, I, based on what I've read, what I've seen, what other people are saying, I, I think he is that Jake Kumaro where you're probably not going to want to put him in the slot, but you have that opportunity to. You have that working to your advantage because he is versatile. So I see Trent Sherfield, again, bottom half the wide receiver room who can make the tough test of catches. He has a speed. He can block. He can play special teams. And I think this could be a sneaky good signing. Now, the next signing, this was one where I actually popped out of my chair a little bit because the only one that I got really, really excited for this offseason so far was Jordan Poyer. And until then, it was just like, okay, another nice, decent depth signing, but nothing too flashy. But then Monday night, we're waiting for something to break. And then all of a sudden, Damian Harris to the Bills. And the reason why I was so excited is because, yes, the Bills needed a power running back, right? We, we've been talking about that all offseason. We talked about it that on the show last week, even the week before. And the thing with Damian Harris was we didn't think that the Bills would be able to afford him. He had a market value of $7.1 million. And based on how the market was drying up, it looked like he wasn't going to get that, right? Like that, that just seemed way too much when all these guys were signing for five or less. And I posted a clip on Twitter of Zach and I talking about this last week. And we said the same thing pretty much, that he would be that nice compliment to Cook and Hines. He brings that power element to him. But the thing was, how would you be able to get him here with the money? And the crazy part of it is, after his contract details were released, I went on over the cap, and Damian Harris, based on average annual value, is the 42nd highest paid running back in the league now. 42nd! That's crazy. He was supposed to be one of the highest paid running backs, but somehow Brandon Bean gets him here on a one-year, $1.77 million contract. Devin Singletary got a one-year deal from Houston for 3.75. So you get arguably a better running back, at least in terms of how he fits in your offense, for almost $2 million less. That is a great signing right there. And again, he brings that, that element that James Cook and Naheem Hines don't have where he's not afraid to go north to south. And the thing is, he has speed too. That's the beauty of it. Not only is, it, is he have that power back, but he brings the speed element where he hits a hole and you might not be able to catch up to him. So in New England for his four years, he was used to playing with a running back by committee approach with all the different running backs that Bill Belichick would go through. And his best season came in 2021 when he had 202 rushes for 929 yards and 15 touchdowns. And four of those touchdowns and 214 of those yards came against the Bills. So they knew how good of a runner he can be because he said it in his press conference. He said, hey, when you play a team like the Bills, they bring the best out of you. And I hope that can be said moving forward as you play on the Bills now because he has that competition where – he can't just say, oh, well, I'm RB1, I'm getting my money. I can just show up and slack off. No, you got to compete against James Cook and Naheem Hines. And I don't want to get into the depth chart too much right now because Bryce wrote an article about that 
earlier this week. And we'll have a good conversation with Bryce and Zach later and seeing how Damian Harris fits in, because I've seen a lot of people saying that James Cook is RB1 and Harris is that complimentary piece. But you can make an argument and say Damian Harris is RB1 and then Cook and Hines are the complimentary pieces. But again, we'll get into that later on. Now, the next thing that the Bills did, they addressed the offensive line. They re-signed David Questenberry. And then they signed David Edwards, a guard from the Los Angeles Rams. Now, in terms of David Edwards, I wrote an article about that after the news broke. You can obviously check that out on our website if you haven't seen it already. But he went to Wisconsin for three years, and he helped pave the way for Jonathan Taylor. And he made 31 starts at right tackle in college. He played 37 games in college. 31 of those starts came at right tackle. But once he got to the NFL, he's a fifth-round draft pick by the L.A. Rams. You know who switched him to a guard? Aaron Cromer. Cromer worked with him in 2019 and 2020, and he converted him to a guard, and that's where he plays right now. And they asked him, how do the Bills see you fitting in here? And he said, I don't know for sure because I'm down for whatever. I can play wherever, line me up wherever you want. I just want to win. But – I think the Bills see me as an interior guard. Now, in terms of his stats, like I said, he was drafted in 2019, and he made 10 starts his rookie year, played 689 snaps. He had nine penalties, only allowed one sack, and had a 61 PFF grade. 2020, he saw 1,006 snaps, only allowed one penalty and three sacks. And he had a 70.3 PFF grade. And then in 2021, the year that he helped the Rams win the Super Bowl, he had a career high in snaps with 1,086. He had three penalties called on him and six sacks allowed. And then a 66.9 PFF grade. And then he battled some concussions this, this last year here in 2022. 230 snaps, had one penalty called on him, three sacks allowed, and a 58.2 PFF grade. So really not the best numbers, but again, he's one of these guys where you say, okay, he's coming off of his rookie contract. He's 25, 26 years old. He gets to reunite with Aaron Cromer. I think we, if you're, if you're the Bills, you're saying, we like this. We really think we can tap into that potential. And then you get David Questenberry back, and he is more depth and competition. Now, here's the thing, though. As much as I like at least the Edwards signing. I'm not sure if I'm that big of a fan of the David Questenberry re-signing. But I talked about this last week, and I cautioned how the Bills have to be careful with how they address their offensive line. Because is Connor McGovern an upgrade over Roger Saffold? Yes. Is David Edwards an upgrade over Bobby Hart or Greg Van Roten on the interior? Yes. David Questenberry, well, he is playing for himself, so <laughs> can't really say that's an upgrade. But here's what you have to be careful with. The Bills are patching their offensive line again. And they've done this for years, where the last time they spent a high draft pick on a lineman was Cody Ford. And you can look at that and say, well, look how that turned out. But still, Cody Ford and Spencer Brown, for that matter, those were the last offensive linemen that got drafted high by the Bills. And ever since then, they've just been patching it. And guys like Brian Winters, and Quentin Spain, John Feliciano, 
Darrell Williams, Roger Saffold, Bobby Hart, Greg Van Roten. And every year they've been trying to find that veteran to plug in. And I said this at the beginning of the offseason where I said, you have to be careful with how you patch it because the way I see it, building an offensive line is like a road, right? Like after the winter, you have a bunch of potholes in the road and you can patch it up with the blacktop. And yeah, maybe, maybe it'll go through the whole summer where it doesn't need any more repairs. But sometimes you just have to rip that road apart and say, you know what, this just needs a fresh coat of pavement because it's getting old and worn down. And sometimes you just got to start from scratch. And the Bills don't have to start from scratch because you have Deion Dawkins, Mitch Morris, Ryan Bates. But there were definitely some holes that maybe were a little bit too big for just a little bit of blacktop where you might want to just put that fresh coat down. And here's the thing. When you're paying all those offensive linemen, you're not going to have the money to spend on other positions because now the Bills are pigeonholing themselves to have to draft a linebacker or maybe not even linebacker round one, but they're setting themselves up to where they have to draft defense. And maybe they draft a wide receiver. We're going to get into that here with the whole Deion, excuse me, with the whole DeAndre Hopkins scenario. But the Bills have 12 offensive linemen under contract now where, again, yeah, they, they might still want to draft a lineman in round one, but that would kind of be redundant right now. When you have 11 to $12 million tied up on your interior between Connor McGovern and Ryan Bates, not to mention the money that they gave Ike Butker and David Edwards. And if you want to throw Questenberry in there too, because he is that veteran depth and competition that we're talking about, because we were saying you get that veteran in there to provide that competition for Spencer Brown. Maybe they still do, but the funds are drying up. And at this point, linebacker is a glaring hole right now. So it almost seems like the Bills are taking the same approach with trying to build up their offensive line through free agency. And now they have other positions that they still need to address. So that being said, the other position that we were talking about, obviously, with Trent Sherfield, again, nice signing, but Trent Sherfield is no DeAndre Hopkins. So that name was hot this week, right? I captioned it in the show, and everyone has just been on the hashtag DeAndre Hopkins watch, been refreshing our phones, refreshing Twitter, just waiting to see if Brandon Bean is going to pull the trigger here. And I think if you can get DeAndre Hopkins, then do it, because I know you want to hang on to your draft picks. But this is DeAndre Hopkins we're talking about. If it was someone like a Brandon Cooks where it's like, okay, you're going to have to give us a fifth and sixth. You say, well, we only have six draft picks this year. And I don't know if Brandon Cooks is worth it. We might as well just find someone in the draft. But this is DeAndre Hopkins, like the DeAndre Hopkins. And I wrote an article about this this past week as well. And I think this is very, very interesting because Mike Giannini of Track came out with a tweet and he said, Trading DeAndre Hopkins, the new team acquires him for two years, $34.3 million. In 2023, that'd be $19.5 million. And in 2024, it would be $14.9. So basically, the previous team keeps all of the bonuses. They're responsible for all the roster bonuses, the signing bonuses, the guaranteed money, and all that dead cap. That, that stays with Arizona. But the new team 
if it's the Bills, they would be responsible for his base salary, which that 19.5 comes into play there. So basically what the Bills could do here is if they were to acquire DeAndre Hopkins, they could convert that base salary into a signing bonus, add three void years, and lower his 19.5 cap hit to $4.8 million. So when you look at it that way, you would be you'd be paying DeAndre Hopkins $4.8 million in terms of him counting against your cap. And Ed Oliver is making 10.8. So if the Bills were to trade Ed Oliver for DeAndre Hopkins, they'd be saving $6 million. And it took me a second to kind of wrap my head around that. But that really could, could be in the works here. Now, I don't know for sure because I don't know if the Cardinals would want to take on that contract. And the other part of it is we don't know how much Arizona wants to eat, if any, because I think that's a big holdup right now where obviously the Bills are interested. We've heard a lot of reports where right now it's Buffalo, Atlanta, and Vegas. And Kansas City has been right on the brink. I'm not sure if they're in anymore. Same with New England and Baltimore. I think New England and Baltimore are out. So I would say Buffalo, Kansas City, Atlanta, and Vegas. And I think Buffalo has the best odds to get him. I mean, really, it should be Baltimore because they need a wide receiver. But apparently they're content with Nelson Aguilar. But if I'm DeAndre Hopkins, I'm saying, man, Buffalo is the best option for me right now. And if I'm Buffalo, I'm saying, man, getting DeAndre Hopkins would just put this team over the edge. And I know I just talked about how they have other holes to fill, like middle linebacker, and we haven't even talked about the defensive line yet. But if you get a DeAndre Hopkins in here, that totally changes the whole complexion of this team, where you have arguably the best two wide receivers in the NFL. Not the best two wide receivers, but you would have the best duo. Now, you could obviously make a case for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Maybe if you still want to throw in Mike Godwin or Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, sure. But either way, Stephon Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins together would be insane. And the question would be, well, what happens to the rest of the wide receiver room? Well, everyone just gets bumped down because I think of this as pretty much what the Bills did in 2021 with Gabe Davis and Emmanuel Sanders, where Sanders was wide receiver two, Gabe was wide receiver four, and then the slot is wide receiver three. So essentially that could be your top four right there where you'd have Diggs one, Hopkins two, Khalil Shakir three, and then Gabe Davis gets bumped down to a four. And that doesn't mean that Gabe Davis doesn't get to see the field or he doesn't get his targets because really what, he had 90 targets last year, but he only had 48 catches something like that. Um, I'm pretty sure it was 48 catches. Maybe it was 92 targets. But either way, I think we're all in agreement that Gabe needs some help out there where he's not a full-time wide receiver, and you just need more depth behind him anyways. Because after after Gabe Davis, right now it's Trent Sherfield, and the Bills are saying they might, they might want to put him in the slot. And then that's pretty much it. Deontay Hardy, I guess, but he's another gadget guy. So right now, technically, you do have that depth on the outside, but if you want to use those guys in different ways, you really don't have that true outside receiver to put in 
behind Gabe Davis. Now, here's the other thing with it. I think this could say, I don't want to say a lot, but this could have a saying on what the Bills think of Gabe Davis moving forward. Because if you trade for DeAndre Hopkins, you are not going to draft one in round one or even round two for that matter. You'd probably just draft one on day three, if that. Maybe you just get an undrafted free agent. But if you acquire DeAndre Hopkins, that pretty much says, okay, we're rolling with this team right now. We want to win this year. We are not going to spend a draft pick on a wide receiver. Now, that doesn't mean that Gabe Davis is going to get re-signed because you would still have another offseason next year to get that new wide receiver in as Gabe Davis's replacement. But it all comes back to how much do the Bills want to give up and how much do they want to balance winning now and in the future? Because they might just want to say, you know what? If you want a, a Christian McCaffrey type deal, we don't want to give up a second, third, and or a fourth. Or maybe the Bills don't want to throw in Ed Oliver in there. Or maybe they don't want to give up anything higher than a third round pick. And they say, if you can't do a fifth and a sixth like Brandon Cook's got, then we don't want to do this. And again, it, it all comes back to how much the Cardinals want to eat too, and just how they can work out the terms of his contract. But the Bills might look at that and say, you know what? We're content with what we have right now, and we're going to spend a high draft pick on a Jackson Smith and Jigba or a Cedric Tillman or a Rasheed Rice or any of these guys. Maybe Zay Flowers. I've seen him mock to the Bills a lot. So that could be where the Bills are at, where they say, you know what, as much as we would love to have DeAndre Hopkins in here, we don't want to sacrifice the future, right? Because that's what Brandon Bean talks about all the time. You want to win now and in the future. And if you acquire DeAndre Hopkins, oh, you better believe you're going to be winning now, but you would have to sacrifice your future. So it's just how much do you really want to sacrifice here? But again, th this is DeAndre Hopkins, and I think that if you can do it, then you have to do it. If you can get him for the right deal, if he wants to come here and form that one-two punch with Diggs and have Josh Allen throwing to him, then you have to do everything you can to get D-Hop to Buffalo. So while I go through the comments here and just get caught up, I'm going to bring Zach and Bryce on. Zach, I'm going to bring you in first here. Give me a thumbs up when you're ready. All right, pleased to have Zach on the show again. Zach, where are you at with this whole DeAndre Hopkins, I don't want to say saga, but <laughs> it's turning into one of those things where we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah, I mean, I would just say settle in. It's going to be a long one. If you're really intent on following the D-Hop stuff, based on everything we've seen on social media or very much the lack of what we're seeing on social media, which is progress or any updates. It's going to we're take not getting a, it. We're not getting anything because the Cardinals are not close to training them. It's because they want too much. They're not willing to eat, or they're supposedly not willing to eat any of the contract, which would blow up most of the offers anyways, because he's going to make way too much to be someone's wide receiver too. And by someone, I mean Josh Allen's wide receiver, too, because we all know Stephon Diggs is wide receiver one here. And also just the fact that the Cardinals have no leverage. 
So teams aren't really in a hurry to start a bidding war for them because they know that eventually Arizona's price is going to come down. And they could just wait it out. Honestly, wouldn't be surprised if it takes up till draft day. Probably won't see anything until the end of April. So if you're really intent on this, really intent on watching every single day for D-Hop updates, buckle up. It's going to be a long ride and enjoy the memes. <laughs> Pretty much. So how badly do you want DeAndre Hopkins? Like on a scale of one to 10, where are you at with all this? Because I know some people are all over this and they're like, oh, I'm an 11 because he puts us over the top. But are you more conservative in the sense where you say, you know what, if we don't get him, we can save those draft picks and use them on a young guy and have him on a cheap rookie deal for four years? I mean, I'll say it from two different perspectives. One, the Bills fan at heart would love to see him in a Buffalo uniform. Obviously, I'd love to see any good player in a Buffalo uniform. But realistically, I don't think it happens. I don't want to sound like a party pooper, though. I'm going to come off as a party pooper here. It's not going to happen. I don't see Brandon Bean making that move, fighting off all of that cap. I mean, unless Arizona is willing to take off a bunch of it and retain it on their cap, which they would have to do anyways. I just don't see it happening personally. I think the Bills are more likely just going to draft one based on the fact they've already signed two receivers in free agency, like those flyer-type guys who are on cheaper deals that have potential upside. I think they go into the draft, take one either day two or day three, and then go from there and see what happens. But I don't see the Bills shelling out draft capital or the cap space again for a thir another 30-something-year-old wide receiver. And see, this is why I think that I would be more apt to make this trade if it involves Ed Oliver. And I know you'd be putting a hole in your defense if you trade away Ed Oliver. But if the Bills can save that $6 million, like I explained previously, you're going to have $6 million extra to go spend on a potential free agent replacement for Ed Oliver. And you can still draft one because you saved your draft picks. And I know the Bills would still probably have to throw in a draft pick. But say Arizona says, well, give us a second, third, and a fourth. And the Bills say, well, we'll give you Ed Oliver and a fourth or whatever. You're, they're going to be saving an additional one or two picks where they can use that pick to go get an Ed Oliver replacement. Because if he's going to walk next year, you might as well get something for him right now. Because he's making it clear that he wants to get paid. He keeps saying, show me the money. He's posting his highlights on his Instagram stories, but he only had two and a half sacks. So it's like, dude, I love you, but I don't know why you're trying to act like you're this double-digit sack master. Because right now, he is not worth an AAV of $10-plus million. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Obviously, expectations were high for Ed Oliver coming out of college. He was viewed as one of those top prospects in the draft somehow fell to number nine and everyone was celebrating the bills picking them up saying they got a steal and obviously it hasn't worked out quite as well as everyone thought especially considering he was being comp to aaron donald which is always unfair to the person being comp to aaron donald 
And last year, he had to be fair to Ed Oliver, though, last year he did have a promising start of the year, but he got injured in the first game. That sort of derailed things a little bit. And again, he showed flashes, obviously not $10.8 million worth of flashes, probably not even a seven-figure, eight-figure extension worth of flashes, but that's what this fifth-year option is for. If the Bill, This is exactly why the Bills did it with Tremaine Edmonds last year. They weren't totally sure if they wanted to give him that big extension, and then they let him play out the fifth-year option. Unfortunately, Edmonds played well enough to get his big deal somewhere else, but you just go find his replacement. That very well could be the same storyline that we see with Ed Oliver heading into this season. So in terms of the other teams who are involved here, I think another reason why you'd want to try to get DeAndre Hopkins is if the Bills sit back and say, you know what, we're going to save our picks. And we're just going to go draft a wide receiver and we're going to get him in the pipeline and we're going to have him on a cheap rookie deal and we don't have to give up too much that way. We don't have to, obviously this wouldn't be a waste of cap space, but they had a plan going into the off season. And I'm not sure if that plan included acquiring DeAndre Hopkins, where now you're starting to hear all the smoke and you think, oh, this could actually be a thing. And now you might have to budget a little bit differently when you realize, oh, wait, we actually have a chance to get him here. So, you know, the, the, the other part of this is you don't want him going to Kansas City because if you sit back, the Chiefs could go get him or another AFC team for that matter. And you like said, Baltimore should, but Baltimore won't. Same with the Patriots, but we heard that they're out of it now. So if anything – I would hope that he would go to Atlanta because him and Drake London would be a really nice one-two punch down there. But even if the, the Raiders want to make a swing here, I mean, they have Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers, Hunter Renfro, not Darren Waller anymore, but... They have a ton of that where You just don't want him already going to the AFC team. The Raiders already have a ton of cap space tied up at wide receiver. I don't think they can afford it. Yeah, yeah. So as you see the teams that are dwindling down here, it really seems like Buffalo is one of the best options. So that's why it's just like, man, if he's there, you got to do it. I mean, we thought the same thing with Zach Ertz, right? <laughs> yeah, really. Thought the same thing with all those other big names that were attached to the Bills, supposedly, like J.J. Watt. I mean, Vaughn Miller – He's the exception because we knew nothing about him being linked to the Bills up until he was signed. Obviously, that that happened, and I'm glad it did. And we already know what he why he was worth the money they gave him. When he was on the field, he made a big difference. I'm sure DeAndre Hopkins would make a big difference too, opposite Stephon Diggs, because you'd have to pick your poison there. But again, the money would have to be right. The draft pick swap would have to be right. Everything would have to be very precise and correct from the Bills' perspective in an offseason where they're already working a very fine line on the cap in order to pull that off. And I just don't see that happening. Well, here's another aspect of it, too. So we talked about how DeAndre Hopkins would be 
obviously a boost for the wide receiver room. And then I mentioned how you don't want him going to another AFC team, especially Kansas City. But the Bills window is open for the next two years. And I know when you have Josh Allen, your window is always open. But right now it is wide open because you have guys like Jordan Poyer who just resigned for two years. Micah Hyde, hopefully they gave him a one-year extension. Him and Poyer can ride off together. Von Miller, he can opt out after next year, as in 2024. And even if he doesn't, is he really going to be that productive as, what, a 35, 36-year-old? Josh Allen, as crazy as this sounds, will be 29 years old. Diggs will be on the wrong side of 30. Gabe Davis might not be here anymore. The Bills already lost their middle linebacker in Tremaine Edmonds. So this window is starting to close. And again, I hate to say it because the window is always open with Josh Allen, but it is prime time right now in the next two years. And if you can go get DeAndre Hopkins for this little two-year window, then you have to do it. I mean, I'm not... I'm not disagreeing with going after him because, of course, if Bean can get it done and figure out a way to make it work on the cap, then sure, do it. If you get it for get him for the right price. But I, again, I just don't see. I don't. I can't rely or just 100% put my faith in DeAndre Hopkins. You know, taking a massive pay cut or whatever or not expecting to get an extension as part of the trade or so many other variables that are involved in this, like Atlanta's asking price, Atlanta's willingness to take on cap, take on the cap hit for Hopkins or Buffalo's ability to trade, to make the trade. There's just so many variables involved in this and it just seems far fetched at this point and really the only reason the bills are even linked to them whether or not there is mutual interest or not i think more of it is because the bills are contenders right now so you slap their name on every available rumor every agent wants the bills associated with it especially because brandon being so tight-lipped he won't come out and either acknowledge it or refute it and they just want to drive up the market well, with that, I want to bring Bryce on and see what he thinks about this. So as we'll get the three-person panel going on here. I think Bryce is ready, right, Bryce? All right, sweet. With a freshly painted wall, Bryce Martin. No more polka dots anymore. What's up? <laughs> so, Bryce, where are you at with this whole DeAndre Hopkins um, trade scenario? Do you want him do you not i mean i think everyone wants him but are you cautious to the point where you don't want to give up too much capital for him and you want to make sure it's the right deal or are you more on the side where you say you know what whatever it takes go get him i think i'm kind of in the middle of that because i don't want to say just you know go get him no matter what the cost is send all your draft picks do this as another thing to get him i want to be safe and you know still give the bills a future so we're not like the Rams or the Jaguars going forward. Um, but I would still love to have him because he'd be a great addition to our offense and, you know, finally give Josh a real number two wide receiver that's not named uh, Gabe Davis. Now, let me ask you in terms of Ed Oliver here, because we've talked about him obviously a lot so far, but I want to hear what you think about this because Again, if it were up to me, I would include him in the deal because 
I do not want to give up too many draft picks. If you can do a Brandon Cook steal for, you know, fifth and a sixth, okay. But this is DeAndre Hopkins. He is way better than Brandon Cooks. And the Cardinals, as it seems, they want more than just a fifth and a sixth. So I think if you could sweeten it a little bit, you throw in Ed Oliver, but then it's just tough because then they say, well, why why would we want to be taking on a $10.8 million contract when we still have all this dead money from DeAndre Hopkins? But if Brandon Bean can figure out a way to do it, because let's not forget, this is the same team that Bean somehow got a fifth-round pick from the Cardinals for for Cody Ford. So if he can work his magic again, would you see a scenario, and would you like that scenario if Oliver goes back to Arizona? I don't see Ed going to Arizona just for the reason that you listed, because you know Arizona is going to have all the dead cap. Uh, there's no need to trade for Ed Oliver because you know they're still a rebuilding team. You're going to have to give them a contract extension next year, so they after all after trading DeAndre Hopkins, you're not going to have the money to be able to build your roster the way you want it and still you know, give Oliver that extension. So if they do trade at it, it's probably going to be to another team, maybe Chicago, who still has $40 million and seems to be on this huge spending spree this offseason. Well, looking at their depth chart, they have a lot of no-names over there to the point where I don't even know if I can pronounce <laughs> some of these guys. So maybe you want Ed Oliver in there to be part of the rebuild, or maybe you just say, you know what, we're totally going to just – Start from scratch, use the draft to build here, maybe some lower tier free agents, but we can't be spending $10.8 million and acting like we're in win now mode when this line is exactly. looking pretty spotty as it is. Yeah, I don't see them, you know, spending $10 million to get a decent defensive lineman. You can get someone like that in free agency and then, you know, build your D-line through the draft for your future instead of going out trade for a $10 million defensive lineman and then give him a big extension next year. And you probably won't get the production you want out of him. Now, again, we've talked about this before, but just to reiterate, Ed Oliver is a nice player, but he is very streaky and inconsistent. And if he wants to get 10 plus million dollars, I think it has to be on a different team because his career high in sacks right now are five. The most tackles he's had he's ever had in the season were 43. And I would have to double check on his PFF grades, but I don't think he's ever been above a 71. So this is a guy where sometimes he looks like, wow, what a great selection at number nine overall. So glad we took out Oliver. Then other times it's just like, wow, he's so undersized. We really shouldn't have picked him here when we could have had Jeffrey Simmons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Buffalo could play a Thanksgiving game 17 weeks out of season, then I would love to give Ed $10 million and that big extension. But, you know, we get one every other year, and he gets three his three sacks per season in that uh, Thanksgiving game. So there's just no point in keeping him around. It would just be hard to find a trade partner that would want to take on that cap hit. Now, that being said, moving over to another wide receiver, we're definitely going to talk more about DeAndre Hopkins, but I want to throw this name out there too because his name has been circulating around. 
Jerry Judy. And it's a similar situation where the team would be responsible for his fifth year option, which is 12.3 million. So again, I, I mean, is Jerry Judy nice? Yeah. But do you want to pay him that much money? No. No, because then again, in two years, you're still going to have to give him a decent size extension and spot track valued him at uh, 20 million per year. And I don't think he's really produced enough where he, someone like Buffalo would be willing to give him that $20 million when you barely have uh, any cap space as it is. Now this year he has a cap hit of 4.8 and I was wrong. It's not 12.3. It's 12,987,000. So we'll, we'll essentially just say 13 million next year, 2024. That's way too rich for my blood. So if anything, I think it has to be DeAndre Hopkins here. Maybe they could still sign Odell, but based on where they're at with their cap situation, then I just don't see it. I think the thing that makes the most sense here is a trade. And I'm going to throw out another name here where maybe Arizona says, well, we don't want at Oliver, but we will take AJ Epinesa off your hands. Could the Bills entice the Cardinals to say, okay, we'll take A.J. Epinesa and a fourth-round pick. I'm just throwing that out there. And I know I said at Oliver in a fourth-round pick, and Oliver is better than Epinesa, so maybe you'd have to do a third. Or maybe Epinesa and two late-round picks, maybe one this year, one next year. But do you think the Bills could throw in someone like an Epinesa, maybe even Boogie Basham, to try to clear up some cap space and save their draft picks at the same time. I think you could do that. It might be a little challenging because you don't save as much money with those two guys you listed as you would with Ed Oliver. So you would still probably have to do some restructuring or, you know, releasing some players or maybe, maybe even another trade. Zach, what do you think about this? Well, to circle back about your point about Jerry Judy, obviously, I don't see the Bills trading for him either. And like you said, that fifth-year option, $13 million, that's a little, little rich for the blood anyways, especially when he hasn't really had much production or enough to really warrant that. But you, it's funny that you guys say $13 million for Jerry Judy is a little rich for the blood, but you know what DeAndre Hopkins is scheduled to make this year, right? You know what his base salary is supposed to be? $19.45 million. 19, base, roughly $19.5 million. Obviously, they would need to restructure that to even come close to being able to get him. But that is also way too much money for somebody who is on, arguably on the downslope of his career. I'm not saying he can't be good again, but... He's missed a ton of time. He's had injuries. He had the PED suspension. It just doesn't seem feasible to me. Even if you're, they're able to offload Ed Oliver or somehow get Arizona to accept AJ Epinesa and maybe a third round pick or something. But I just, I really don't see it happening. To, you know, Go back to my point about trading for DeAndre Hopkins. He did miss, or he did play nine games and still 
almost had 1,000 yards last season. He had 717 yards and three touchdowns. So if you can, you know, get his cap number down to maybe 10 million or somewhere around there, maybe 15, I think it would be, you know, easier to trade for him. And you could still have a productive wide receiver too. All right, so I'm going to stay with the wide receiver room here because I want to talk about some different position groups in terms of moving forward and what we could see the Bills do in week three of uh, free agency and then the draft. But in terms of wide receiver, how do you see this shaking out? And I know that kind of seems redundant because we're just talking about the whole DeAndre Hopkins thing. But in terms of looking ahead to the future, do we think that Gabe Davis – gets a second contract with Buffalo. Because again, I think that this Hopkins potential trade could have some saying in that where, again, if the Bills acquire DeAndre Hopkins, that doesn't mean that Gabe Davis's job is safe where it's like, oh, we're not going to draft a wide receiver now. So that means Gabe Davis is going to get resigned. No, I mean, you could still not resign Gabe Davis and then draft one next year. And then he can learn behind Diggs and Davis in 2024 so that he's ready to play in 2025. But the point that I'm trying to make here is if you acquire DeAndre Hopkins, you are not going to draft one within the first two days of the draft here. So how do we think the Bills view this? Where, again, DeAndre Hopkins is DeAndre Hopkins, but they always talk about winning now and in the future. And do we think that the Bills want to get one here in the pipeline who can take over for Gabe Davis? If Gabe Davis is kind of pulling an Ed Oliver and says, hey, show me the money, I want 12 plus, I want 15 plus, and the Bills are going to say, well, you only had a 52% catch rate, we're not going to give you that much money. We're just going to go on Cedric Tillman here. And that's why, that's where the importance of the NFL draft comes into play. Yeah, I think there's enough good wide receivers in the draft this year where you can take one, you know, day two and still be satisfied enough where you can lose Gabe Davis because, you know, he, as much as I loved him last year before the season started, he wasn't good. You know, he had the, you know, nice, was it four or five game stretch, but, you know, didn't really produce after that. So if you can get someone in maybe third, or fourth round, and then save that twelve million or whatever it is by letting Gabe Davis walk. I think you do that. Yeah, so it, it just seems like the Bills would favor that route a little bit more, regardless of the the Gabe Davis situation, where they say, you know what, we're just going to draft a wide receiver, and that's something that they haven't done in a long time either, drafting one high. But I don't know. It's just so tough because th- this is DeAndre Hopkins. What you got to think about the future as well. And that's what I, that's how I finished the article pretty much, where I basically just said, you got to find that balance between winning now and in the future, because this is literally the definition of that. Sorry, I was muted. I didn't realize. But. Like someone put in live chat earlier, Buffalo scored 10 points at home in the division round. I think you have to do everything you can to be able to, you know, solidify your offense and 
make sure that doesn't happen happen again this year. They well, we can all agree. Sure, you don't have to go through that unprecedented adversity again, too, which that would be a whole lot easier to figure out. Well, we can all agree that the Bills need another weapon, right? Because right now they have five wide receivers, and they still don't have that depth on the boundary, especially if they want to use Sherfield in the slot, along with Shakir and maybe Hardy. So, yeah, you have some guys who can play inside-outside, but they really don't have that true big-bodied receiver behind Diggs and Davis who can provide that depth. Because we talked about this before, where last year all they had was Jake Kumaro, who was constantly hurt, Isaiah Hodgins, who was up and down from the practice squad and then claimed by the Giants, and then they had to get John Brown out of retirement. And now this year, and Cole Beasley, and Cole Beasley, and now this year, yeah, you get Trent Sherfield, but now Sherfield thinks that the Bills like him more on the inside than the outside, and then who knows what they want to do with Deontay Hardy? So if they put all three of those guys in the slot, including Shakir, you're left with the same problem as last year, where it's Diggs and Davis, and then nothing else. And I know we still have the draft, but man. I just want another weapon. I, I want another weapon because, like you guys said, and like the people said in the comments, 10 points in the playoff game is not going to cut it. Yeah, like you brought up, Buffalo made all these wide receiver additions this this offseason, and still they don't have a good wide receiver, too. It's still going to be Gabe Davis at this point if they don't trade for DeAndre Hopkins or draft one early. Zach, any thoughts about just the wide receiver room in general moving forward here? And maybe specifically about about Trent Sherfield, about what the Bills said about his usage. I mean, I don't really ex- have much expectations for Sherfield. I think, like you alluded to earlier, he's basically an upgrade over Kumaro on as wide, wide receiver five. If he can play the slot and outside, cool. You'd be able to have decent depth at both i guess the other question would be who do they really envision playing the slot because do they envision deontay hardy playing the slot do they envision shakir in the slot do they possibly envision having shakir be that extra boundary guy or whatever but i think we won't have the complete picture to answer that sort of question until after the draft so I think it's just a little too early to say. And I've been saying this right along, and I will continue to say it. Khalil Shakir needs more snaps. And maybe they want to put him on the outside. I don't know. Maybe you could you could flex him out and, and put Sherfield in, and you could kind of platoon those guys. But Shakir is a nice slot receiver, and I think he definitely needs more time. So if it up to me, I'll just put it in terms of what the depth chart is looking like right now. So Diggs, one. Davis, two. Shakir, three. As of now, Hardy, four. And then Sherfield, five. So if you get Hopkins, he's definitely going to be two. But let's just say the Bills draft one. Whether it's Cedric Tillman, my draft crush, as you can tell, or anyone else for that matter. And we know how the Bills like to slow play their rookie. So I think that rookie would automatically start as wide receiver four. And yeah, maybe he he works his way to taking over for Gabe Davis. But I think to start, it would be Diggs one, Davis two, Shakir three. 
And then that rookie would be four, Hardy five, Sherfield six to round it out. I think that's, you know, a pretty decent depth chart right there with uh, Sherfield at six because he still produced very nicely in Miami. And again, he only had 417 yards last year, and he has a lot of potential where you can use him in expanded roles from what we saw from Jay Kumaro last year. And I think he he would be a better Jay Kumaro too. I don't know if he can play special teams, but he can definitely uh, produce more on offense than uh, Kumaro could. Zach, before we go to the offensive line, do you have any, I think I just asked this, but any more final comments about this? I just want to make sure I'm not missing any comments here in terms of the wide receiver room. I mean, ultimately, again, we'll see what happens, how the roster is, how the receiver room is constructed after the draft and whether or not they select a boundary guy in day two, day three maybe as someone they could develop to take over for Gabe after next season, someone to try to get some touches in this year. Who knows? Again, I don't feel comfortable giving an opinion about this until we have the full picture. Fair enough. So with that, I want to ask you guys about the offensive line because I talked about this in the opening and I want to see what your thoughts are about it because I think the Bills did improve their offensive line, but now I'm changing my mock draft, which, by the way, will be coming out tomorrow on our website here. We have round two of the mock draft coming out, but I had to change my round one pick because I know you shouldn't go based off of depth signings, but I looked at it from the overall landscape and said, wait a sec, the Bills have 12 offensive linemen under contract right now, specifically four on the interior. And for as much as we've been saying that you need to draft a guard of the future, you need to find your Wyatt Teller 2.0, I'm not sure if you're going to want to draft someone now if you already have four guys locked into those roles. And then the Bills went after, well, I shouldn't say they went after, but they re-signed David Questenberry. And right now it looks like he is going to be that veteran depth and competition for Spencer Brown. I'm not sure if there's anyone else out there in terms of free agency who the Bills can bring in in terms of competition. So do you guys like what the Bills have done with their offensive line? I mean, guard, yes, because I think McGovern can be as, you know, a solid starting guard for Buffalo, at least for this year while they figure it out. Um, Questenberry, I'm not super high on because he, you know, he, when he came in for Spencer Brown last year, he did not look good at all. You know, the offensive line, I don't know, I don't know how, how bad it can get from worse, but that's what happened with uh, Buffalo when Questenberry came in. Zach, what are your thoughts about the construction of this line? I think compared to last offseason, there has been a bit of a fundamental change of how they've approached the guard position. Last offseason, 
to steal your line about patchwork, they tried to patch up the guard position with 33-year-old Roger Saffold on a one-year deal making market rate for guard. And that didn't work out too well. So this year, instead of... Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Doing that, they gave about market rate to a guard who has starting experience but is also entering onto a second second contract someone in his mid-20s could be entering potentially entering the peak of his career we're going to get him at the right time in his career if he can take that next leap in his development that next step because Connor McGovern he can fill right in you give him two years see what happens but I think that was a better move than just going out and getting like another 33-year-old guard like Trey Turner or something just for a stopgap for this year. As for right tackle, obviously, personal preference probably wouldn't have re-signed Questenberry, but also he's cheap, he's dubbed, he's been here. You could do a lot worse. He gives you that positional flexibility. I think they just re-signed him because he's cheap and he's familiar with the, with the offense. And I obviously, he's not going to push Spencer Brown. So we use the term veteran competition very loosely. I think the only way you get an actual competition for Spencer Brown would be if they drafted an offensive tackle. And to be honest, I'm not sure if that's going to happen high either. I just... I don't think they're ready to give up on Spencer Brown. Like, he was raw coming into the league. Everyone knew this. He showed flashes again. And again, people are just fed up because, you know, it takes time to develop in this league. Like Dawson Knox, it took him three years to figure it out. And now everyone likes him, and he's one of the better tight ends in the league. I'm not saying, of course, I'm not saying Spencer Brown's going to take a great giant leap in his third year. I just think that Brandon Bean isn't willing to give up on him yet. I think they're going to let him see this year through. Maybe if they do draft an offensive tackle, it might very well be fourth round, fifth round. Just get someone in the building, start his development now in case they need to move on to him. And I, but again, besides that, the offensive line is it was really just the two major issues were just left guard and right tackle. And they've addressed the left guard well. And right tackle is still to be determined. 
Yeah, and you know, I'm going to describe this like I did in our group chat the other day where, again, did the Bills improve their offensive line? Yes, but how much do they actually improve it? Because it seems like they've been using, for another analogy here, I talked about building the road before, right? But now in terms of that patchwork, last year they put a Band-Aid on it. This year is a bigger Band-Aid where you get these guys and you think that they're going to become something special. You don't know. And I know you know, I, I know, hold up a sec here. <laughs> I know that they don't know what their draft picks are going to turn out to be, but you're taking another chance by signing all of these guys. And here's the other thing, which leads into our next conversation here. I mentioned this before, but between Connor McGovern Ike Butker, Ryan Bates, and now David Edwards, in terms of average annual value, that's about $15 million right there on your interior. And that doesn't even count Mitch Morse, who is what, $10 million right now in AAV? Let me pull up Spatrek so we can figure this out. Either way, I mean, you have a lot of money tied up right there on your interior, and specifically with the guards, a, a position that I was saying that they should draft and just start young and start from scratch. But if you're going to put that much money into it, you're not going to want to draft because something is not going to work out where even if they do draft a guy like Osiris Torrance, then is he going to start over Conor McGovern, and then you're going to put the guy that you're giving $7.5 million a year to on the bench? Or... If it's the other way where it's like, well, we're paying McGovern $22.5 million, so he's definitely going to be our starter. Well, why did you just spend a high draft pick on Osiris Torrance if he's going to sit on your bench? And now they almost have to attack the linebacker position. And I know, again, based on what happens with the DeAndre Hopkins deal here, they could still draft wide receiver. But right now, the biggest hole is linebacker. And again, we haven't even talked about defensive line. I, I hope to God they don't draft another defensive end. Defensive tackle, yeah, I can see it, but hopefully that's more later on day two or day three. So right now, the main position that they're setting themselves up for is a linebacker. And I just don't know how I feel about that because when they did that last year with cornerback, Kansas City knew exactly what was coming and they jumped up ahead of us and took Trent McDuffie. So as good as it is to build up your offensive line and to get more proven bodies than just some rookie that you're going to draft and say, hey, you're our day one starter. That's why you just have to be so cautious with patching up the offensive line and using different size bandages. I mean, to be fair, any sort of player move can be considered patchwork. It's just... Obviously, the difference is you draft a player, you're hoping that that patchwork lasts longer than a free agent signing. But going back to your point about the offensive line and how much is being spent at what positions. So according to SpotTrack, here are the cap hits for the interior offensive line start for the presumed starters. Mitch Morse, $11.36 million. Of course, we expected that. Ryan Bates. His, again, his contract was average annual value, roughly like $4 million a year, $4.25 million a year. 
His cap hit this year is $4.875 million. And Connor McGovern, for all the uh, hoopla about his market rate, which, yes, yeah, $7.45 million average annual value. However, the cap hit this year, his first year in, $4 million. It's really not that bad. It's really not that bad. I think the whole trying to say that the offensive line, they're spending too much money or whatever, you can't spend too, enough money to protect your franchise quarterback. I really don't think that going to free agency for interior offensive linemen is a bad thing. Now, going on to your other point. Sorry, I got caught up in the spot track stuff. What was your other point again? <laughs> well, I was just saying how dumping money into the offensive line, which I agree with your point. We said at the end of the season, protect Josh Allen, do whatever it takes. So, yeah, you want to spend money to build that up. But at the expense of that comes now you don't have money for other positions where we see Bobby Wagner. He just got signed by the Seattle Seahawks. So I like that for Seattle, right? Bobby Wagner gets to go back. It just feels right to have Bobby Wagner in a Seahawks uniform. But in terms of us as Bills fans, you look at that and say, man, if we could have got Bobby Wagner here for one year, $7 million, I would have loved that. And I know he's not what he used to be, but now you are very, very far and few between in terms of free agent linebackers who are out there still. I mean, who's even left at this point? Miles Jack, uh, Deion Jones. Zach Cunningham. Zach Cunningham. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much the only one. So at this point, it really seems like they're going to draft one and let that mm -hmm. rookie compete it out against Tyrell Dodson, Tyrell Bernard, and Balen Spector. Yeah, and honestly, sure. If they feel – if McDermott feels comfortable enough, whatever – I yeah I agree I think it's setting up for a middle linebacker at pick number twenty seven so brace yourselves Bills Mafia we'll be telling you this for weeks so be prepared I don't really see anything else happening but oh yeah you said something about the Chiefs leapfrogging the Bills last year to get Trent McDuffie well the good news is Chiefs don't need a linebacker this year they're not going to leapfrog for a linebacker. If they do, that would be probably a misappropriation of their resources. But there are other teams. There are 30 other teams who could still do that, though. Well, maybe not 30 because. Yeah, I was going to say, how many teams need a middle <laughs> linebacker? <laughs> Significantly less than I think a lot of us want to think about. But, again, it's like if McDermott is committed to his defensive philosophy – and is sort of just going to stick with what he knows and stick with the conventional roles of the linebackers, I think that he may have a specific person in mind, I think, may very well be the person that I had last week in our, my mock, and I know Bryce had in his mock for round one last week, which was Jack Campbell from Iowa. He's a true Mike. He has experience playing the position, he is seasoned. He also he checks off the Iowa box. You know, we all know how McDermott loves his Iowa guys. And it's just again, it's not one of those where it may not be the best draft value, but
but positional value in terms of getting him in the room, just getting him when you can. You may have to take him at 27th overall, and it wouldn't be necessarily be a bad thing. You just get the guy in the room and let him go for the next four years, five years if they pick up the fifth-year option, not have to worry about it. You don't have to go after the top free agent middle linebackers. And I do say that having wished that they at least tried harder to get Levante David or Bobby Wagner. Yeah, because Levante David said it would have been a different conversation if Von Miller would have reached out to him. Though, to be fair, though, with that, I kind of view it sort of sort of like, you know, Schrodinger's cat, where it's like, if the cat's in the box, but we don't know whether it's alive or dead, you consider it both alive and dead. You can consider it kind of both ways here. If Because supposedly, Levante David was almost already buttoned up by the Bucks at that point when he said that the Bills popped into the picture. So if Von, obviously Von Miller didn't chat or anything, so it, may, it wouldn't have impacted his decision because he didn't get swayed otherwise. But if Vaughn had, we don't know whether or not his pitch would have worked. If he had called, you would have assumed that it would have worked and also wouldn't have worked because we don't know. It's an alternate reality. It didn't happen. Whatever. Good for Levante David going back to the team he spent his entire career with. Good for Bobby Wagner doing the same thing after a year apart with Seattle. It just wasn't meant to be. Whatever. Just move on, figure out your next move at the position, and go from there. I would say lastly about the linebacker point, too, and about just talking about going circling back to your original point about the offensive line spending so much money on that, taking away from other positions. Are we try are the Bills trying to invest more on offense? Because if they are. Spending money on linebacker may not be as high a priority as offensive positions, as receiver, as tight end, or offensive line, or whatever. It really just comes down to where they want to divert the resources they have. And one way to free up capital both now and in the future to invest on offense would be to go a bit defensive heavy in the draft and get that cost-controlled talent. On the other hand, if you, again, want to do what they've been doing for the past couple of years, which I see so many people being fed up with in general of investing a ton of money on defense, you would have to invest significant draft capital on offense in order to still continue to try to build up around Josh Allen. I... I don't know. I could see them going either way with it. They probably want to just do a balance of the two. But, again, it's it's hard to tell the clear picture until we know what the draft card, what the draft class looks like in April. Well, you talked about how the Bills want to divert their money. So I'm going to take a second here and talk about how they have done so so far. And all of their signings, in terms of their additions, have been on the offensive side of the ball. I tweeted out the list of all their transactions so far back on Friday. And 
They signed Connor McGovern, Deontay Hardy, Kyle Allen, Trent Sherfield, Damian Harris, and David Edwards. So six additions all on offense. Now, they did re-sign Tyler Matakevich, Tyrell Dodson, Cam Lewis, Dane Jackson, and Jordan Poyer. But those were all guys that they've had here before. And you can make a case that Jordan Poyer was the only significant one. There may be Dane Jackson, but a lot of those guys were for special teams. So the Bills have really spent the most of their money so far on offense. And with all these DeAndre Hopkins rumors, obviously he is an offensive player. So again, they're setting themselves up to draft defense where free agency is offense and the draft is going to be defense. And as much as we all like Jack Campbell, right? 6'5", 245, 250, could be the next Luke Keekley. He had 299 career tackles at Iowa. He had 140 last year, or 140 in 2021, 125 this past season. Just seems like he can be that dominant downhill threat as a middle linebacker and just all around good cover uh, just he can cover he can everything everything you want out of middle linebacker right but here's the thing what if he's not there or what if he is there and you potentially have to reach for him those are the two stipulations where you know I saw a lot of people say he's not worthy of a first uh, first round pick so you might want to go to the second round but then he might not be there so that's that's a hard part where if you're narrowing it down to Jack Campbell, you better hope that he's going to be there because if he's not, it's a very small chance that everything goes your way. Definitely. I agree with that. Again, like two main things here. One, I think it's a common misconception that every team has 32 or more first round graded prospects every single year. That's not true. It's been proven time and time again. There have been reports that have come out and stuff. It's not true. Teams routinely don't have anywhere close to that number of first round grades. So a lot of times if you're in late in the first round and all your first round graded prospects are gone, you're technically reaching. But at the same time, we got to remember the NFL draft is basically just one large game of dibs. Basically, if you're taking someone in the first round, you're just getting first dibs on them. You want to just get your guys when you can get them. Even if that means taking someone who many consider a second round talent late in the first, because you may not have that opportunity again. Well, I agree with Jenna here. She says, that's why I think we should trade back some spots. And I've seen that, and I've been thinking about that myself in terms of what the Bills can do. And as we get closer to the draft, I'm definitely going to explore this more where maybe we could come up with some some mock trades here where the Bills could trade back into the second round. And maybe you, you take a, a guy like Jack Campbell between 35 and 40 instead of at 27. So in that case, you could get a couple of picks back and that way, instead of having six picks, you have seven or eight. And you don't have to reach for Jack Campbell. And, and they definitely did that last year where they fiddled around with James Cook moving up and down, back and forth, side to side. And then they finally got James Cook. But I was like, man, what, what are they doing here? Because I remember there were like three different trades. And then they finally took James Cook. 
and he was projected to go in the third round. Then he came up in the second round. And it's definitely just interesting how they can work this here. Now, I want to bring Bryce back on and see what he thinks because he's been a Jack Campbell guy himself. So, Bryce, with the new background, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on Jack Campbell specifically, but then in general about how the Bills are building their team here in the offseason and how it appears – that they're putting the money in on the offensive side and it looks like they're going to draft defense. Yeah, I I think Jack Kemple would be the perfect fit for Buffalo because he's almost the exact same as Tremaine Edmonds is. He's super tall, he's super big, he can, you know, play the run very well. I think, you know, give him a couple years, maybe one or two years, and he can be as as good or close to Tremaine Edmonds is. He has a size of physical attributes, everything that you want from a middle linebacker and everything that Brendan Bean's drafted. And he can cover too, right? In terms of pass. Yeah, he can. Okay. He can definitely. So how do you see this panning out here in terms of how they've allocated their resources where, again, to go off of Zach points or Zach's point here, in terms of cap hits, it's, it's not that bad. But when you look at average annual value and say, hmm, $15 million for their guards, and then you throw in Mitch Morse on there, you're upwards of $25 million. You're not going to want to draft another interior guard after that. And, and maybe they still draft a right tackle for Spencer Brown's competition. But again, going off Zach's point, I don't know if they're going to want to do that at least within the first couple of rounds, because they're very high on Spencer Brown. They re-signed David Questenberry. They still have Tommy Doyle. He can be that swing player. So that doesn't mean that it's going to be him on the outside, but it just seems like they're building their offensive line through free agency to the point where they're going to say, we're going to draft a linebacker and some more defensive linemen. Because here's the other thing, getting over the defensive line now, everyone's going to be a free agent next year. Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Ad Oliver, and obviously Jordan Phillips right now. So they don't have any defensive tackles under contract for the 2024 season. But yet they haven't done anything in free agency. So if they're focusing on the offensive side of the ball now, is this just, is it going to be a, a defensive-heavy draft again? I don't think it has to be, but... You know, knowing Brandon Bean and the way he's drafted over the years, it probably will. Because if you look at it, you know, they took Kyrie Elam last year, drafted two defense, yeah, defensive ends the year before. I mean, the way he drafts, it's just set up for, you know, either this year or next year, you're drafting two to three defensive linemen, edge and D tackle. Well, I agree with Walter here. I don't know if I'm going to be breaking things in my house because we do need that middle linebacker, but he does have a great point. You score 10 points in the playoffs and you're going to draft heavy on defense? Again, we don't know that's what they're doing, but when you look at it like we've been for the last hour and 22 minutes here, it really seems like they're going to draft defense, especially if they can get DeAndre Hopkins. Now, going off of Mike's point here, if you get DeAndre Hopkins, then that 10 points should – 
least <laughs> go up to 17, if not 20 plus, given all the other things that factored into that game. But yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow when, say, the Bills spend four out of their six draft picks on defense, and you say, well, this offense needs a lot of improvements, and you're only drafting two offensive players. I mean, going back to the point about like defense versus offensive heavy draft classes, I did pull up the draft classes. So let's look. Let's look at last year. Pull that up again. Kyrie Elam, yeah, first round defense. You drafted running back, second round, so offense. Then you went defense, then offense. Then special teams, then defense, then offensive line, and then defense again. So that's fairly balanced. It wasn't defensive heavy last year. The year before, you had... Russo and Basham, two defensive linemen, then two offensive linemen, then a wide receiver, Marquez Stevenson, who's not here anymore. Then you had a safety, then a cornerback, and then offensive linemen, both of whom are not here anymore. That isn't really that defensive heavy. It's kind of balanced. It's just different positions. Again, trying to draft for now and in the future. I don't know where this narrative about being being defensive heavy came from in the draft. It's maybe early, if, if you want to say defensive heavy early, that would make more sense. I And I think that's probably what's meant, but it's not like he's going into every draft saying, okay, we need to take seven defensive players. That's not happening. I am not too concerned about whether or not they're going to draft more defensive than offensive players. Again, we'll see. We don't know until the end of April. And I don't, I just, and also to address the point about the whole, oh, the Bills scored 10 points in the, against Cincinnati in their last game that we saw. So they have to do everything they can to bolster the offense, forget about defense. It doesn't matter. It, that's not true. It's not true at all. It's because we have that bitter taste of that game in our mouths. Everyone's views are conflated because of the last performance they saw. That's why everyone was having such unrealistic high expectations for Gabe Davis heading into last year because he balled out against the Chiefs in a playoff game. And that's why people are overreacting right now saying that the Bills need to do throw everything in the kitchen sink at the offense and just abandon defense completely because supposedly it doesn't matter, even though it matters enough in every single game that you play. This is not about this is not about one postseason game. It's about building a team that can win as many games as possible, regular season and postseason, and get lucky along the way. You want to construct your team to be as good as possible. As Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rumbling says, you want to construct a team that will be as good as, good as possible for as long as possible and hope you get lucky because that's how you win Super Bowls. You win as many games as possible, make it into the playoffs, and then get lucky from there. That's how you do it. Well, again, going back to Walter's point, 
the last time the Bills spent a second round pick or higher on a wide receiver was 2017 when they drafted Zay Jones in the second round. And other than that, the highest wide receiver on this team that was drafted was Kelvin Benjamin as a first round pick back in what, 2014? He wasn't a Bills draft pick. (laughs) No, but I'm just saying like the last time that a high draft pick was in the Bills wide receiver room. Well, well, yeah, you're right there, but point is so the, the Bills didn't draft them. I know. I'm, I'm just saying that they typically go after the guys who were later round picks. So Zay Jones was the last second round pick or higher for the Bills at wide receiver. And Cody Ford was the last second round pick or higher in terms of offensive linemen. So they've been defensive heavy throughout their careers here in terms of being a McDermott. And I know you said it's been a little bit more balanced as of late, but the way that it's shaping out. It's been more balanced. If you're talking about defensive heavy in the early rounds, then you have a point. But don't say overall they've been defensive heavy. I'm, I mean, I'm sp- I'm more talking about the early rounds, but in general, it seems like they draft more defense. And for what it's shaping out to be right now, based on the signings, it looks like it's going to be like that again. And it probably will be too, because the only, well, the only needs you had on offense were, you know, running back, offensive line and wide receiver, and you filled all three of them in free agency. So, What's there's nothing left on offense to fill until later rounds. So now you're looking at safety and uh, middle linebacker first two rounds, most likely. Yeah. So, I mean, right now they still need help on the defensive line. They need a middle linebacker. They got to get younger at safety. I don't think they're going to want to draft another corner. I do think that they could use another tight end. I could see them drafting a tight end, but in terms of Bijan Robinson, I guess this is a good segue into the article that you wrote, Bryce, about the running back room. How do we see that shaping up here? Because for as much as there's talk about Bijan Robinson getting drafted to the Bills, as much as I like Bijan Robinson, I'm going to be pretty mad if he winds up in Buffalo with their first round pick. Yeah, I love Bijan. I think you got to be crazy if you dislike him as a football player, but we don't, that's not our most pressing need right now. If, if this podcast was two weeks, two weeks ago or last week before we signed Damien Harris, I think I would be more apt to drafting Bijan and I don't know about you and Zach, but right now with the way, you know, week two of free agency shaped up, you're looking you're not looking at running back within the first three to four rounds. I don't even want to draft a running back. I know Damian Harris is here on a one-year contract, but I'm tired of drafting running backs where I like what they're doing, where you get a guy like Damian Harris in for a year, cheap contract, maybe he comes back next year, but do not spend more capital on running backs. Maybe if you want to get your new Raheem Blackshear as an undrafted free agent, (laughs) maybe. But look how that turned out, where they cut him. So I do not want to see them drafting a running back. Zach, are you on the running back train? Do you want to see another running back here? Aside from Taiwan Jones, death, 
death taxes and Taiwan Jones on special teams and the full running back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the only that would be the only meaningful expenditure I would make on a running back. And he's not even really a running back. He's just special teams. And it's because or meaningful. <laughs> exactly. The only contribution he makes is on special teams. But he's very good at it. He's made a career out of it. And that's fine. You can get him back, Vetman. No problems. No problems with that. As for the actual running back position, at, like you said earlier, the Bills came into this offseason, wanted to get a bigger back. They wanted to get more a bigger like bruiser or power back type to complement James Cook and Naheem Hines' skill sets. And they did just that. They got Damian Harris, one-year deal, very cheap one-year deal. Again, surprisingly cheap compared to what other the market that developed at running back. And I'm glad you brought him in. You give him a flyer for one year, let him take the power back role. If he t- see if he runs with it, pun definitely intended there. And Obviously, beyond that, we'll see whether or not they re-sign him or he does enough to warrant an extension. But for right now, the whole my whole point is do nothing else. I am team do nothing else at running back. You do not need to spend significant money or draft capital at that position anymore. So that being said, if we're all in agreement that it's pretty much set for this year, how do we see the snaps taking place here because I've seen a lot of people say James Cook is RB1. I think Damian Harris is RB1 based on Cook's usage last year. And I know that can improve and it should improve. And Cook proved that he can handle more carries, but he's never been the lead back before. He's always that complimentary pass catching piece. And if you have a guy like Damian Harris, it just seems like he's going to be the first and second down back. And then you have Cook to come in on, on third down. So do you guys see it where it's going to be Harris and then Cook and Hines or Cook and then Harris just a couple times here and there when you need those tough grinded out yards and then you still have Naeem Hines to do his thing as well? I think it's going to be more, you know, RB1A and uh, RB1B. It'll probably be, you know, a matchup-based thing where if you need Cook, and you're going to be passing a lot, he's going to get the majority of snaps. Or if, you know, it's snowy or windy like that Patriots game a couple years ago and you want to run the ball 50 gazillion times, use Damian Harrison, just grunt and pound that. But I don't think there's going to be a true, excuse me, I don't think there's going to be a true number one running back on this roster. I agree with Bryce on this. You're going to have your 1A, 1B. I think th- I think for the start of the season, they may give James Cook the 1A role just because of his experience in the offensive system. And then Harris would be 1B, easing his way in, getting a couple touches to start, but then gradually getting more involved. Because that's the thing. It's like we all talk about how McDermott prefers the experienced vets and stuff. Well, you got to have experience in the system. Damian Harris is coming from New England. They ran a different offense, a vastly different offense. At the same time, obviously, again, it's going to be an RB committee thing. It could very well be matchup-based, like Bryce said. 
And there's a reason you brought Damian Harris in in the first place. It's because he can go right up the gut. He can get is the downhill runner. He's good in those sloppier conditions. And Naheem Hines, it would be kind of to be determined what his role would be. So say the Bills run 20 to 25 plays in terms of running plays. How would you split those up? Because I think Damian Harris would probably take the lead. I, I would say off the top of my head, I could see Harris taking that Devin Singletary role. And Singletary really didn't even have this role because the Bills didn't give him that. But I think that Harris should get at least 12 to 15 a game. And then you're looking at James Cook, maybe 8 to 10. But I think people would say it the other way, where James Cook should be getting 12 to 15. And Damian Harris, just in those tough, grinded-out possessions, can get 8 to 10. And then there's Naeem Hines, too. And let's not forget Josh Allen, too, because he's going to probably take up five himself. Again, yeah, that's think... probably more going to be matchup based. It's not going to be a certain number, you know, week after week. If you want to use James Cook or if he has a hot hand, he'll probably get the, you know, 10 to 15 carries. Or if Damian Harris has a hot hand, he'll probably get, you know, 12 or uh, 15 carries, whatever it, whatever it will be. So real quick, just to interject here. If Josh runs five times by himself and you have 20 carries to split up between Cook, Hines, and Harris, how would you, excuse me, how would you split up those 20? Probably Damien Harris 12, or no, excuse me, 10, uh, James Cook 8, and I guess give Naeem Hines 2 just for the fun of it. I think it would probably be somewhere around there, too. Because if you want to justify your Naheem Hines trade, you have to get him involved in the run game or, you know, get him involved in the offense in general. And hopefully they get the short passing game going as well, where even if he doesn't get his handoffs, you can get him going with the screen Looks like we may have lost Kevin for there. Um I'm sure he's talk going to talk about trying to get Naheem Hines getting getting him involved in the screen game, which would be nice if the Bills knew how to properly run a screen. But as for quick passes, I'll just jump up. right into. <laughs> and he's gone again. Oh, is he back? Are you there? You got me. Now yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, I was just saying, maybe they use that short passing game as the extension of the run game and Hines hopefully will get more involved in the passing game in terms of the screen game. But that's a big question that needs to get answered. But I, I think I would have to agree with Bryce's numbers where you're probably looking at about 10 for Harris, eight for cook, and then just a couple for Hines. But even that seems kind of shallow, you know, like you, you would want Damian Harris to get 15. At least I would, I think Damian Harris is good enough to get more, towards that 12 to 15 range that I set. James Cook, I feel like he should be getting double-digit carries too, but then it comes into question, well, how many passes do you want to take away from Josh Allen because this is a pass-heavy team? And, you know, those numbers would be nice if Buffalo was, you know, more a running team. But with Josh Allen and Sean McDermott, we're not going to run the ball 
you know, 30 times a game to give all our running backs those double-digit numbers. Also, Damian Harris's contract doesn't really guarantee anything. There's no besides whatever guaranteed money he's getting, he doesn't get he isn't guaranteed to get double-digit touches. And like I said, it could very well be matchup based, but I would still think that you'd want to give James Cook a slight edge in the carries. Like give him the 10 to 15, Damian Harris maybe about 10 as well. Naheem Hines probably sprinkling a couple jet sweeps here or there, motions or whatever. And then his primary focus is kick, or, kick return and punt return. All right, well, we are about an hour and 40 minutes in here, and I want to finish up by talking about a report that came out over the weekend, and that's that Calais Campbell is going to be visiting One Bill's Drive this week. So how do we feel about that? Because – for as much as we were talking about the defense and spending on offense and looking like the Bills are going to be drafting for defense, how would we feel about bringing Calais Campbell in on a one-year deal? You know, in the chat over the weekend when we were discussing it, I was all for it. He's still producing these big sack numbers, still getting a quarterback and still producing at, what is he, 34, 36 years old, somewhere around there? So if you can get him and, you know, put him on the other side of Greg Rousseau until Von Miller comes back, I don't think you miss a beat at pass rush, you know, for however long Von is out. Now, when he does come back, I think you do have a great rotation of him, Von, and Greg Rousseau at pass rush. And I think we can get back to being a dominant uh, front seven again. Now, would he be a defensive end or a defensive tackle? He's played more DN in his career, but that's with a 3-4 defense, so I'm not really going to say for certain what he's going to be here. Yeah, I mean, like Bryce said, we don't can't really project what it would be. I would say, considering the Bills run a 4-3, though, my guess would be he'd move into, like, 3-tech via defensive tackle, but... He has also played defensive end. I don't necessarily see him as being the guy you put opposite Groot at defensive end, though. I mean, maybe occasionally you do that, like on run, if you want to beef up your run defense and you want to have your top two defensive tackles plus Calais Campbell on the field at the same time. But he for he may very well just end up being a rotational D lineman again, and that's okay. That's okay to have him in that D-line rotation. Like Bryce said, he is still a game wrecker, even at age, even when he's about to turn 37 by the time the season starts. He's still a game wrecker, and I'm all in favor of it. That's the thing, though. I I do like Calais Campbell. He is still putting up the numbers. So in case you're wondering what his stats have been, last year in Baltimore, he had 36 total tackles and five and a half sacks. In 2021, He had 49 tackles and 1.5 sacks, and then he had 28 tackles and four sacks in 2020. He also made the Pro Bowl that year, which was the last of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years in a row where he was either a Pro Bowler or an All-Pro. And in Jacksonville, that's really where he popped off. He had 14 and a half sacks in 2017, 
And then in 2018, he had 10 and a half sacks. So I would like this signing if he was six years younger. I still like Calais Campbell, and I think that he can still get the job done. But it's just how old do you want to go there? And I know that's the point of free agency where we're at, where you're going to have a lot of washed up veterans. But you look at someone like Von Miller, who actually, was it his birthday today? Yeah, it was. Happy birthday, Von. What is he, 34 today? I'm not sure what he turns, actually. I'm going to have to double-check that. But, you know, obviously Von Miller is getting up there in age. If you bring in another guy who is well past his prime, he's been pretty durable, but I don't know. That's just tough. But then if you don't bring him in, then you're going to have to draft more defensive players and more defensive linemen. And look how that's turned out over the years where – you look at all these guys like AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham and just guys that where it's just like, ah oh, man, I really don't want to have to draft more defensive players. So I see it from both sides. I mean, if you did bring in Clay's Campbell at this point in free agency, it would probably just be a one-year deal. So it's not going to be this multi-year thing that breaks a bank for Buffalo. And I guess that really wouldn't impact the draft too much, considering how I said they have no DTs under contract past this year. But I don't know. I, I'm torn on Calais Campbell because on one side, it's just like, oh, yeah, Calais Campbell, let's go. But then on the other side, it's like, oh, Calais Campbell, he's 36. <laughs> and his age really doesn't affect anything either. Even though he is 36 years old, he's still been – producing like he was you know six seven eight years ago well i agree with dan here he said campbell would play dt and clock up the middle and i think if you get calais campbell i feel like that would be the jordan phillips where maybe they don't re-sign jordan phillips and they say you know what calais campbell we don't want you to be that edge rusher anymore at this stage of your career just clock up the middle we're gonna have you on the second team or maybe he would be first team but Daquan Jones, on the, as of right now, if they don't trade out Oliver, it'd be Jones and at Oliver, and then Tim Settle and Calais Campbell. And that's a pretty solid four right there. Even if you did trade out Oliver, having those three, you know, with Ellie Anku or whoever you want to name and sign later in the year, that's still good uh, for for Manti Tackle. So, yeah, Ryan Talbot was the one who reported that. And I'm not sure which day Calais Campbell will be in town, but he is set to, he, he is reported to be meeting with the Bills at some point this week. So be on the lookout for that as we start week three of free agency here. And the Jets also, too. He's visiting this week. And the Jets didn't really mention this. They seem to be the front runners for Odell. So I guess going back to the wide receiver room now. Might as well finish out with that since that was a big topic tonight, DeAndre Hopkins. With Odell going back to the Big Apple as it looks right now, in terms of finding that dynamic weapon on the outside, is DeAndre Hopkins the best choice for the Bills at this very moment? I think if you want to go free agency or trade, it's your only option for Buffalo because – I don't think you're going to land Odell Beckham anymore. He seems to be going in a different direction. 
then looking at the free agent list behind him, there's really uh, nobody left. So you're looking at either DeAndre Hopkins or drafting someone in the first two to three rounds and hoping he can become a good wide receiver too. Zach, to wrap this up, is DeAndre Hopkins the best option to help this Bills offense right now? Again, in a theoretical sense, not taking into account cap and whatever, yeah, of course he is. He's one of the better wide receivers in the game. Of course he would be the best option. But practically speaking, it still doesn't make a ton of sense. The cap is too high. Even if you get the Cardinals to bite off enough of it where a trade can go through, you still got to think about the next couple of years, how your cap situation is going to hold up, how you're going to be able to, you know, develop that position. It's, it just seems doesn't seem practical at this point, especially considering that the bills are tied up against the cap right now. Yeah. And like I said, maybe they can throw in a player like Epinesa, or if they can get the Cardinals to bite on Oliver to try to save some money in the process. I think if that's the case, you have to do it. Because, again, if this is Brandon Cooks, you say, you know what, this is just another shorter outside deep threat. We're going to pass. We're going to save our draft capital, and we're going to build for the future. But if this is DeAndre Hopkins, the conversation changes because it's DeAndre Hopkins. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what the Bills do here because I think the pros outweigh the cons. But again, the, the biggest thing is, aside from trying to balance the winning now and in the future, is just how can you work out the contract details? Because I think that's what's been holding this up for so long, is that the Cardinals want a lot back, and they probably don't want to eat as much of the money as other teams want, where the Bills might say, hey, you need to be responsible for X amount of money. And they're saying, whoa, whoa, we, we don't want to keep paying them that. We already have to pay them in dead cap. So... I think it'll be very interesting to see what transpires here. The league meetings are taking place the next few days. Um, do we know the location for those? They're in Arizona. So. That's right. They are in Arizona, right? Yep. So maybe something happens then as all these guys are going to be together talking. Maybe something gets done. But I guess to finish out this show here, what do you guys see in terms of week three in for agency for the bills any other positions that they can or should go after looking at spot track right now spot track has them with as i'm pulling it up here maybe it's not on here okay there it is estimated cap space for their top 51 10.7 million now that does not factor in david questenberry's contract or david edwards contract so Assuming they both got, I don't know, around a million. We'll, we'll say between the two of them, that's two to three million right there. So you figure the Bills have like eight to nine million left in cap space. You have to save six to seven for your draft picks and two to three for your practice squad. There's really not a lot of money left to go around. But this is Brandon Bean, and he knows how to finesse. And he can work things out, and he can restructure deals. And like he says, you don't want to kick the can down the road too much. But there are still moves that they can make. So with that, what other moves can we see week three of free agency? 
I want to know if Buffalo goes after a wider, or excuse me, a tight end two in free agency this week. Um, there's Irv Smith Jr. from the Vikings, Cameron Brait, who was just released by the Buccaneers. There's decent options in free agency there, and you know, after losing Tommy Sweeney and taking a flyer on OJ Howard last year. They haven't really found a decent tight end to. So it would be nice to get one this week, but I don't know. Zach, what do you think? Because I think tight end two, I feel like they're going to try to draft that. It seems to be a, a pretty deep class in terms of tight ends. Safety, I can see them drafting one, not necessarily too high, but at some point in the draft. And then wide receiver, I, I feel like, if they don't get DeAndre Hopkins, they might be done because they already signed two free agents here. So for me, and then looking at the offensive line with 12 guys under contract now, I'm thinking maybe some defensive players this week. I, quite frankly, I'm not expecting anything. I, If it is anything, they'll probably be contracts that end up being below let's say 1.77 million because that's convenient for the compensatory pick formula. Like, I don't think at this point Bean's really interested in doing much more right now because once you get after, once you get to May 3rd, then he, you may see some more, more business going on because May 2nd is that deadline for signings that affect that formula. And right now the bills are on track to get, a third round pick for Tremaine Edmonds. So I don't, we'll see whether or not he actually values the comp, comp pick bingo this year, but I really don't see much happening this week. That being said, if something does happen, I'll be pleasantly surprised, hopefully in a good way. <laughs> well, two names that I want to throw out there. We've mentioned them a couple times tonight, but Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips. I'm wondering if these guys will be back just cheap one-year deals, help to fill the holes on the defensive line. I think it'll be pretty telling to see what happens with Calais Campbell, but if the Bills do not reach an agreement with Campbell, I could see them bringing back both Shaq and Jordan Phillips just because of that continuity and they know the system and Shaq could be a nice placeholder until Vaughn gets back. Do you guys see either of these two guys being back in the red, white, and blue next year? Maybe Jordan Phillips, but I would love to see Shaq Lawson back because he did produce a little bit, and without Von Miller, you kind of want to go into training camp and preseason with some depth at the end. Zach? Yeah, I think it could happen. You could bring both guys back. I think Shaq would be the higher priority because for the same reasons that Bryce said. Continuity in the system. He was more effective last year. Obviously, Phillips was dealing with his own injuries, but I think you could sort of just give or take on the defensive tackle rotation. But you need as much help as you can as an edge rusher as you can. All right, well, I think that'll do it as we wrap things up here. Appreciate the comment from Mike. Great chat room tonight. Apologize for... Uh... 
maybe a few technical difficulties in the beginning, but we got on track and we had ourselves a good conversation. So appreciate all you guys for leaving comments and, you know, comments are always appreciated. If you want to leave more comments telling us how we did or how we can improve, always be here for that too. So um, I guess just to recap, one last thing that I'll say is the Bills added that power running back. They've been adding to their offensive line and they've been adding to their wide receiver room. But moving forward, I think they still need to find that dynamic weapon in the wide receiver room, and they need to figure out what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe we see some cheap signings this week to plug some holes, or maybe they're just going to draft heavy. But for all the conversations that we've had tonight, I don't want this to be a defensive heavy draft. So I think if anything, this week, week three of free agency, we're going to see some of those cheap veteran signings on the defensive side of the ball. So that as we get rolling into April towards a draft, you can take the best player available and you don't have to target linebacker or you don't have to target a defensive tackle. So with that, um, Bryce, any articles that you're working on or Zach, anything that you want to mention here before we sign off for the night? Well, as you mentioned earlier, Kevin, we got the uh, BF writers mock draft round two coming out tomorrow. It'll, it'll be fun. It'll be interesting because, like we were discussing, first round, we sort of can predict what they may do. Second round, it's anyone's guess. And then just stick around for that. Yeah, for me, I have a article coming out tomorrow discussing the wide receiver room after the Trent Sherfield signing. Kind of like what I did with the Damian Harris article. And kind of like what we talked about tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, make sure to give those a read for sure, as we're going to have the content content continue to be pumping out here as we wind down March. Isn't it crazy to think that April is already a few days away? <laughs> yeah, especially that, uh, especially that first day of the month, just be forewarned. <laughs> this Saturday, don't get got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't get got for sure. Hopefully there are no false rumors on Twitter in terms of, oh, DeAndre Hopkins to the Bills. Yeah, April Fool's. So there will be. Yeah. Be sure to not be at least 50. get got. Yes. So with that, <laughs> I think we will end it on that as we will be back next week, same time, same place. Maybe there will be a big acquisition like DeAndre Hopkins that we can talk about, or maybe it's just going to be more of the bargain bin side of free agency where we're just going to talk about where the bills are at. And I think next week for sure, we're going to be talking about the draft as we move into April. Cause what next Sunday is April 3rd, correct? Second or third. I can't remember. It's April 2nd. No. Okay. Well, yeah, well, either way we'll be into April, which means that the draft is coming up. As close as it is, it also seems like it's far away because I think a lot of people are getting anxious because it's like, oh, man, who are we going to take? Who are we going to get? But that's what we're here for. We're going to try to help you talk it all out, hash it all out, and figure out what the Bills need to do to keep improving this team. So with that, you've been watching the BF Writers Club on Buffalo Fanatics. For Zach Vaughn and Bryce Martino, this is Kevin Syracuse. Thanks again, and once again, go Bills. Go Bills. Go Bills.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.